0: So, you're going to be a starving artist?
1: Have you considered something more, you know, practical? How will you make money? Why not get an MBA
0: instead? We've all heard it before. Your family's well-meaning pleas with you to ditch your art and find something practical to pursue in your career. Whatever that means. During practical advice for impractical pursuits, students in MSU's Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies program will explore stories from industry professionals across arts and culture, arming you with all the knowledge you need to not just make it, but thrive. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits. My name is Colton and I'm going to be your host today. The topic for today is going to be all about exploring our artistry and how we can make a career out of it. We're going to hear from two fantastic flutists. First we're going to talk to Brandon LePage and then we're going to hear from Amanda Blakey. So our first guest today is going to be Brandon LePage who is a wonderful flute colleague of mine um, and a, a fantastic friend. Um, so welcome, Brandon. Thank
2: you so much for having me, Colton.
0: Of course, I'm very excited you could join us. I just wanted to start by giving you a chance to introduce yourself.
2: Absolutely. Well, I grew up in the Metro Detroit area. Um, I'm based in Michigan now as well, so I'm kind of back home. I went to Michigan State University, and then from there I went to the San Francisco Conservatory. And now that I'm back in Michigan, I serve as principal flute of the Wisconsin Chamber Orchestra and the Flint Symphony Orchestra. I also teach at the Flint School of Performing Arts and at Oakland University. And uh, since moving back to Michigan, I have also founded the Chamber Artists of Southeast Michigan, or CHASM for short, which is kind of my uh, chamber music brainchild thing that I love to play around with. Would
0: you mind telling us a little bit about like what started that brainchild and like your
2: process there? So when I was living in San Francisco, I lived there for almost three years. Um, the norm for the people I went to school with was to create chamber groups or to create scholarships or, um, all sorts of different performance-based things in order to, you know, jumpstart our careers while we were still at school. And when I moved back to Michigan, I noticed that not a lot of people seemed to be doing that, at least not where I was living. So I actually, uh, am in the second iteration of this, um, project, I guess we'll call it. The first one was called the concerts at St. Mary's. And basically, I lucked out. My dad is an organist at a church in Rockwood, which meant I had a free space available to me. And I was curating concerts every year where I would bring in other groups or perform myself. It was all donation based. And that was really fun. But I wanted it to grow into something more impactful and meaningful to really help the community where I grew up so that's where I formed the Chamber Artists of Southeast Michigan. We are now um, a standing group of a trio for sure and sometimes a wind quintet. We present concerts every summer in partnership with the Downriver Council for the Arts in Wyandot. They have a fabulous little theater that we perform in. And we also now offer a scholarship to Downriver area high school students. And in order to be equitable, the scholarship is done completely by essay rather than by recording. So that way, if a student can't afford lessons or a nice instrument, it's not going to stop them from being able to take advantage of what we're offering. I
0: absolutely love that. That is so amazing. I had no idea that you had started a scholarship program. so exciting.
2: Yeah, it's been weird because of COVID, obviously. We had to take a year off. This would have been our second year. Um, but in our first year, we even went so far as um, we used city council members to help pick our winners. And when we narrowed it down to finalists, we made sure to redact gender. We redacted the city that they came from, because Downriver is a community of smaller smaller cities, kind of, um, to make sure that it was, you know, as fair as could be possible. We really want to make sure that students who need this money are going to be able to have access to it. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for doing that and, like, creating that environment and community for uh, the Down River area. I think that's so exciting. Thank you. Oh, yeah, like, I'm excited. And I totally get what you mean about, like, the chamber music groups, like, not being a norm here. Um, you know, as as you know, I well, I think you know. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't assume. Um, but I started a quintet up here in Lansing. Yes there wasn't there wasn't anything and it's like chamber music is such like an awesome thing we're so portable and we're so like you know versatile like we can just go wherever we want and it doesn't cost us thousands and thousands of dollars just to get there you know
2: yeah the impact on an individual community is
0: so much more absolutely I just it's so much more intimate you can have those like conversations like that's what our group is all about you know we want to have conversations with audience members something that can't really happen with a full orchestra so now you have also mentioned that you were principal flutist of uh, the Wisconsin Chamber Orchestra and Flint Symphony Orchestra
2: yep yeah, mm-hmm. I've been with the Wisconsin Chamber Orchestra for almost four years now, which is blowing my mind, and um, the Flint Symphony for three years. I was second flute there for two seasons before I uh, won the principal job, which opened up about a year ago.
0: So could you talk to our listeners a little bit of like about how you like maintain, I guess, like your personal like artistry, like while working in a larger ensemble like that, where, you know, everything is dictated by our music directors and our conductors. Like how do you forge your own path within the orchestra?
2: Absolutely. I love that question. Um, I think, I think that there's, I'm going to kind of give two answers. Um, You know, in my first job was piccolo with the Lansing symphony. So I've sat in all three chairs in the orchestra and I think that gives me a slightly different answer to that question, right? Um, As principal, it's a lot easier because when it comes to my solos, although a conductor might give me some ideas, um, usually they kind of let you go. They're not as finicky when you're playing solos. Every once in a while you get a conductor who is, but um, especially if that's not our sitting conductor, you know, um, kind of just ignore them in the concert. As Mm -hmm. second flute or piccolo, that can be a little trickier. Piccolo still gets some solos and autonomy, but you have to blend a lot more. And um, I would say that open conversation with members of the section, whether that's the flute section or the wind section, really helps you to feel like you're an integral part of that team rather than just the section member who's being told what to do and stifled all the time. I love that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing though for me is the outside projects because as an orchestral musician, there's never going to be a time where I can sit in the orchestra and just do whatever I want. And I understand that. I'm prepared for it. Mm -hmm. But as a chamber musician or as a soloist, because I also perform recitals, that's where I can really let my artistry spill out into the world. And you know... I never take for granted what I could learn from other people. Um, For example, when I was sitting second flute in Flint, the principal flutist there, she can play so much softer than I could ever hope to play. And so I used to play a game with myself where like, can I play softer than her today? Can I play softer than her today? And I mean, I grew as, you know, from doing that. So I never take for granted that no matter how good or bad we all are, I have something to learn from this person. Thank you so
0: much, Brandon, for that wonderful advice. It was great talking with you today, and I look forward to our next conversation. Now I would like to introduce our second guest for today's podcast, Amanda Blakey. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Of course, I'm very excited uh, that you could join us. So first, I would like to start with just some introductions so that our audience members can get to know you a little bit more. So Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about your studies and your path to where you are today?
1: Sure. So I went to a liberal arts college in Illinois um, called Principia College. And despite it being very tiny, it had a very strong music department. And I had an amazing flute teacher who was also an amazing pianist. And after that, I went on to the University of Miami, where I had a, basically a paid um, master's um, with a stipend, and I was the teaching assistant. So I did everything from literally teach all of the non-performance majors to performing in the Woodwind Quintet and um, help lead a lot of the studio classes. Um, and that was a, a good two years because despite, for me, uh, the level maybe being a little bit lower in the sense of it not being a conservatory, um, it really gave me a lot of opportunities um, in the orchestra, and the wind ensemble, all the quintet stuff. So it was great. And I got my first job. principal flute with the Miami City Ballet at that point and then I went on to Manhattan School of Music and I did the orchestral performance uh, program and that was just amazing. I did a lot of very focused work like mock auditions and classes um, specifically towards obtaining an orchestral career. So within I say a year of finishing at Manhattan School of Music Um, I landed my first job, and that was after substituting a lot with the New York Philharmonic. And I had been studying with Robert Langevin, uh, Principal Flute of the New York Philharmonic. And so my first job brought me to Michigan. It was Principal Flute with the Michigan Opera Theater at the Detroit Opera House. And I was there a total of five years, uh, and I loved it. I just love opera, and it was almost like finding my niche there, and I... I would say um, maybe three years in is when I also became principal flute of the Sarasota Opera in Florida. And so that kind of worked perfectly in a jigsaw puzzle. Um, It's like I had the fall in in Detroit, and then January through March, I was in Florida, which was a great time of year. And then back um, April through May, playing opera again in Detroit. So um, that worked out great. Had uh, one year with the Battle Creek Symphony, playing principal flute there. Um, But it was after, um, I'd say, my fifth season. I finished my fifth season with the Michigan Opera Theater, and I won the position of second flute with the Detroit Symphony, where I had been substituting for probably about five years there. So that's kind of a short, quick (laughs) explanation of my background and how I got into the DSO. Um, got my job today.
0: Thank you so much for that. That's so exciting. Um, You have so much experience to speak from. Um, So I was wondering if you could um, speak to our audience members about how you maintain like your personal artistry Mm -hmm. while working in an orchestra. Maybe you can speak for both like your principal perspective and then juxtapose that with your second flute experience and the similarities and differences.
1: Sure. Um well definitely playing principal positions allows you the room to be very creative musically, artistically. Um of course within the reins of a conductor perhaps, but nonetheless you still have a lot of artistic freedom phrasing-wise, vibrato, tone colors, that kind of thing. A lot of choices that you can make. Um so definitely it was a bit of an adjustment for me going back to second flute playing. Not that I hadn't done a lot of it, but um, you know, I'd done a lot playing next to my teacher Robert, which was amazing. So my second flute experience at that point was mostly playing with him and also playing with my now colleague Sharon Sparrow, um, who was uh, acting principal of the DSO when I was subbing. So when I did join the DSO in twenty sixteen, um, for sure it was a lesson in how to adjust on the spot and how to make um Artistic decisions that were not necessarily my own, but that were really interesting, you know, you learn a lot by shadowing someone else Um, So anyhow, it's it's actually made me a better player because I've had to learn how to do things that maybe weren't as natural to me Um, But how I maintain my probably my artistic um, personal artistic side is really by being as active as I can outside of the DSO um, so for instance, I'm a core member of the Detroit Chamber, Winds and Strings, and that allows me usually about once a year, I do a recital with them. And that's usually a chamber recital, so it might be flute and harp, flute and harp and piano. I did uh, a program, flute, cello, and piano, definitely done a lot of woodwind ensembles, um, various mixed strings and winds. And that's been really great for me because again, I can make some of those artistic decisions that I normally don't necessarily get to make. Um, Additionally, um, I try to put on my own recitals or performances or programs, um, or just record things online for uh, social media and that kind of thing. But I definitely look to these um, outside chamber music programs like the Chamber Winds and Strings, and um, New Music Detroit is another one where I really enjoy playing a lot of the new music with the composers that come in. So I would say uh, definitely having those those ensembles um, locally here has been great um, for me to have that freedom of expression.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. I wonder if we could explore a little bit about a hybrid career model. Um, I know that in the past you've worked both as performer at DSO and as flute faculty at Oakland. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like balancing those and like I guess the positives of having a hybrid career?
1: Absolutely yeah so I taught at Oakland I think it was about seven seven or eight years um, pretty much as soon as I came into Detroit in 2012. Um and it definitely at first it was one of my main sources of income because I didn't have the job with the DSO and I had the Michigan Opera Theater. But since that's not a full time job, it was definitely a very important job to be teaching at a university like that. Um and maintaining that with the DSO was definitely challenging but rewarding at the same time because I love to teach um It isn't as close geographically, but definitely making that 45-minute drive up um, to work with probably usually about six students, sometimes doing studio class or chamber music and also um, coaching excerpts um, and the uh, flute ensemble, definitely incredibly rewarding there. Um, I would usually carve out one day of the week, usually after rehearsal. Sometimes I do like a morning DSO rehearsal and then spend the rest of the day at Oakland University teaching. And um, that was just really awesome. The only reason I um, had to kind of leave Oakland was because I had a baby and I wanted to spend a little more time with her, of course, but um, definitely teaching from home. And I was doing that also, in in addition to Oakland teaching um, out of my home and also doing a lot of outreach, educational um, outreach and otherwise with the DSO that was optional. So it's definitely helpful to have all of those outlets creatively and artistically. Um, and it adds and enhances the the job of the DSO because then you feel like you're not just performing, but you're sharing a lot of your knowledge. And in turn, you learn so much from your students when you're teaching. And uh, that o- always helps one's playing anyhow. Thank you so much for that.
0: Now, the last thing I want to ask you before we end today's podcast is what advice do you have? for new artists who are kind of forging their career.
1: So I would say to think outside of the box as much as possible.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda, for giving us your time today. This has been Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits, a Michigan State University arts, cultural management, and museum studies podcast. Thank you to our program director, K.F. Latham, and the Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. To hear more episodes and learn how Michigan State is training future arts administrators to manage with compassion and care, visit artsmuseummanagement.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast.